My name is Adriana Gallardo, and I'm a reporter and writer who splits her time between New York and Chicago. And a Vocalo. Vocalo alum. <laughs> um, yeah, 10 years ago, we launched the Vocalo Storytelling Workshops. That's um, right. And I used to, we, we taught that together, and um, I'm a product of um, Radio Arte, which, you know, in many ways preceded the, the wonderful work that you, you continue to do here. Um, but yeah, community media, very much part of my DNA. And I'm Ayanna Contreras, and you are tuned to Vocalo, and we have a very special conversation about how tortillas broke your heart. The piece is called The Tortilla Type of Hurt, How One Broke My Heart. Maybe I can read the, the last two graphs of it. Because mm-hmm. this piece is also personal in the way that I weave in the headlines, the information we're learning about, the company um, with my own indecision of where to live. And so a lot of the piece is also personal in that way. But I think here, um, here's, you know, includes a few of the takeaways. So I'll read this piece. In many ways, 2020 never left us. We know now deeply the true cost of our comforts. For me, that list included tortillas and the home they carried for me when I wasn't able to make one. As for my hurt, it is now a hole in my fridge. The hole looks like an empty tortilla pack wrapper still in a sandwich baggie. The last pack that came from the freezer. The one I never got around to throwing away. The empty monument sits next to the rest of my food, and it reminds me that what's lost is only gone when we stray from who we fight for, not from where. That sometimes the home that you need is the one that finds you. My inconvenience and nostalgia is nothing compared to that of the workers who won't make headlines, but who still believe that we can do better. I am also reminded that a company isn't a family. Family are the people who, no matter how long, how many years have passed by, pick up the phone for you to talk about tortillas or anything else. Whether I'm in New York or Chicago, family are the ones who pick up. Family is Aaron's mom working the third shift while pregnant. Family are the people who I got to share the perfect tortilla with hundreds of times over the meals growing up. It's also those who know that a tortilla should only be turned over the flame by hand. It's knowing that a good tortilla travels across time and space and that it is crafted with dignity from root to hand. So, like, explain that to folks who have not read this article on Catapult. It's on the Catapult website. Um, What sort of hurt that you dig into with this article? Yeah. I really was trying to make sense of how something that I love so much, like El Milagro Tortillas, I was understanding that I might need to part ways with it. And that was something really difficult for me to think about the one thing that I rely on for, like, true sustenance. Like, it's a thing I eat. I ate all of my life growing up, and then when I leave Chicago um, almost 10 years ago, it's, like, the one thing that I must have with me wherever I go. And then in the pandemic, to suddenly start to see it fall apart in different ways, you know, first it was just a shortage, and the shortage alone was a little scary. Like, what? There aren't enough of these for everyone. We're going to have to figure out a way for us to, like, all have some and get by. And then the second shortage comes in 2021. And that one is the one that I talk about making lessons. Like suddenly we knew how to do this better. Suddenly people had some level of protection and the tortilla was still lagging behind. And then we start learning why it was lagging behind. And it was actually the worst case scenario, which was that the workers were being abused in the process of um, making the thing that, you know, I had attached so hard to. Not just I, you know, I, I talk about how it's it's been a, El Milagro tortillas are a thing that like, you can search it on Twitter and you'll see how far people have gone to secure a box or a bunch of 
dozens to just sort of get why. Can we just rewind for a hot second and talk about how El Milagro got so ingrained in like Mexican Chicagoan culture in the first place? Yeah, I mean, the Lord is really close to sort of the story that I think we all see ourselves in, right? It's a young man that comes to the city many decades ago, um, Mr. Lopez, who, you know, is the founder of the company, Mexican from Mexico City, had learned the process of amnistamal, which is how you prepare the masa to make the tortillas, um, comes here to work in the in the railroad systems and sort of starts slinging tortillas on the side. And, you know, this is how the company tells it. Um and the tortillas sort of grow to be very popular. And then that's the beginning of the tortilleria. Um, he has a, a family, his children then become the, the people running the company and so forth. And so it's been Mexican-owned, which I think is its own point of pride for, for many Chicagoans. Um, it's operated locally. It's in the Latino neighborhoods. It's a very, uh, it's part of the fabric of, of like many of these communities. Like one of the women that I, Maria Gutierrez, who's in the piece, right? She lived around the corner from one of the factories in the 80s. So it was easy for her to walk there, make a fair living, you know, doing the best she could for her family then. And and sort of those were the folks that have always been working at these factories, right? Or like our neighbors and people we know and turns out family, um, which I learned through this piece too. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Like what were, in addition to that, what were some of the things that you uncovered that you didn't know before? I was completely ignorant that in the 80s there have been efforts to organize um, tortilla workers, um, beginning with um, Del Rey, which is another local brand that um, you know that we all sort of see every day at the supermarket. Um, that yeah, there's the, the tortilla organizing has been a thing, and that um, Ruiz Lozano had been involved in organizing Del Rey uh, in the early 80s before his death. Who was famous? Who was very famous? Very right? famous. Actually, has a library branch named after him in 18th and Blue Island. Yes. And Pilsen. Yes, he was he's very well known. His family's still very much part of, of the city in, in different ways. And I had no idea until I spoke to um, Maria Gutierrez, who's mother of one of my very good friends here in the city, um, who tells me that she was involved in that, left Del Rey to work for El Milagro because she could make a little bit more money. Um, but really, I had no idea how long conditions at tortilla factories had been an issue. So let's talk about that. When did you first become aware of some of the roots of this 2021 shortage? It was in headlines, which is much how I tell the story in, in this piece, is that um, I also thought it was so Chicago that a tortilla shortage would be headline news uh, for m- like multiple nights. In the beginning, it was a way for us to sort of see how far-reaching this thing was going to be, right? Like the workers started dying in May of 2020. So again, there was still more of like a general why everyone should care about this, people are dying, this is bad, you know, ripple effects. It was before I think we even had words for it and we weren't talking about the supply chain issues, we weren't really talking about it in that way. 2021, um, people started actually speaking against the company in public ways, backed by um, Arise that was, you know, helping them organize and Talk about who Arise is? Arise is a local, Union organizing? I don't I actually don't know the definition. I mean, you could um, just, as, as broad as worker, possible. Arise is a workers' rights organization in the city that, um, while they're not unionizing, they were organizing them to, to voice their concerns, to become public, um, and lead uh, a bunch of demonstrations throughout the city when um, we start learning that, you know, workers were lacking things like appropriate air conditioning on very hot days. Um, the speeds on the line had 
increased almost to a point of um, causing harm. Uh, folks started looking through the records and said, that, you know, we learned that they had been investigated for potential amputations on the line, like really serious concerns for for worker safety, um, sexual harassment accusations that workers say had gone by on unaddressed. Um, really the slew of, you know, on top of the seven-day work week, which ended due to these efforts, um, not seven day, yeah, seven day work days and and over eight hours uh, a shift. Um, so really, all together, it was a pretty dark picture of how the tortillas have been getting made. Yeah. So we're talking about these issues um, that really came to light in 2021. Uh, what has come of these revelations? So definitely a public outcry. Like I think. M- I wasn't the only one that sort of started piecing the, the headlines together and really seeing a fuller picture of how hard these folks were seeking basic rights, right, like temp, like fair temperatures and fair pay and um, things of that nature. I think for, I hope, you know, same thing that I experienced, which was also a realization of how costly our comfort food um, and almost the closer it is to home, the harder it is to swallow that these two are inhumane practices and that, like, we've been participating in in the supply chain for a very long time, um, often without really questioning. I really assumed that because it was a Mexican-owned company, naively, that they would do better by the workers. And of course, that's not true. Um, and of course, that's not always also true. Uh, but it really, it w- for me, I felt so naive throughout the whole process as I'm reporting it out, as I'm sort of making sense of like, is it right for me to keep bringing the tortillas with me uh, back and forth? Is it, you know, when I come home and I see my mom, really chasing like different, like going to several stores to try to put together enough for the week so that we could all, you know, we could go without um, missing our tortillas. Like also how far we were willing to go for the tortilla was really interesting to me to see the lines in the news reports around blocks, you know, of people who just like we were uh, scouting for, for packs and, and willing to pay higher prices for them. And they, they became really popular on Amazon and, you know, all of these things that, um, yeah, the thing that was so, part of, I, you know, I never thought about the tortilla in this way. Um, and so I think for me, that was also, is where I began wrestling with uh, how implicated we are in, in all of this. So has there been any change for the workers at that level do, that you know of? I mean, we know from headlines that um, the complaint uh, to the labor board did result in some changes. They did end the seven-day work week. Um, There have been small improvements made. They are um, now, at least publicly, acknowledging the issues um, through statements or through select interviews that they've given as a company. Um, And now there's, you know, I think a huge leap was that there's public consciousness around um, the the workers' conditions uh, at these factories. So... That's, I mean, that's good news. Do you feel like that's a resolution? I mean, I know you're not, you know, a spokesperson for these people, but as a consumer, you know, I know we talk a lot about the cost of things, but to your point about supply chain and about humane treatment, I don't know that we talk about the real costs of a lot of these things. Like a pack is like a buck something, right? Like it's pretty cheap. But what does it really cost? Right, right. And in growing up, I remember like they were even cheaper. Like was, they were under a dollar like for a long time, and so it was one of the things that we could just literally keep putting into the cart without thinking that 
if we were going to be able to afford it, right? Like it was also that thing that you, that's also why they were so precious, right? Like endless supply of these. Um, I, I don't know. I still think a lot about what it means to buy them. And I, there's definitely not a point where we can look the other way and say like things are getting better and the company's working towards better conditions. I hope all of that is true. And I really hope that the company's addressing all of the, the long list of complaints and in ways that are meaningful. And, you know, I, I, the company hasn't, um, the workers haven't unionized. I think that was a choice that I don't know where they're at with that. Um, definitely, you know, Arise would probably know, know best where, where they're at in that regard. Um, but they, we're also experiencing a shortage now. Like they're harder to find now, I think, than, than they were in 2021. Um, and so it's been interesting to see how now people are adapting and, you know, the combination of public consciousness other brands being more available. And I believe the reason that we're experiencing another shortage is still lack of workers. Like they don't have enough workers to produce the demand that they that they see. And so um, I know I, my mom has sort of gone with a new company. Like the, I see new tortilla brands in the fridge, right? And she's testing. Me too. Yeah. So it's also, that's been really interesting to sort of find that compromise. And um, I bought a tortilla press. You're making your own. That's a whole other way to to go about this. I was just like, you know, I I just got to try something else. Because I was feeling bad when those stories came out. It was just like, that is incredibly dark that people had to go through that, you know, just to give people, you know, bread is such a, you know, food of sustenance. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's not a luxury. It's like a necessity for so many people. And to your point, the fact that it's so affordable it's like like very democratic in a sense, and to think that the folks who, yeah, the seven day work week thing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like being in a place like Chicago, that was so early to unionize people and the fight for you know workers' rights and all these things, and for have these people who are making this tent pole product not be able to enjoy those rights, was like I, I was like I just can't. Yeah, and the fact that that was a win. Yeah. Right. Like that was one of the champion wins is that they ended seven day work weeks. You know, and, I, you know, Maria Gutierrez was in this piece. She was working seven day work weeks in the 80s. So this isn't a new practice. This isn't it seems like this was the way they were operating. Um, she was working 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. on weekends. Um, so really, you know, the cost of. Of these comforts are things that I think we are. I mean, for me, I wasn't examining enough, probably until the pandemic. So that's, I hate to say it's a silver lining, but in a sense it is because it opened a lot of people's eyes, not just yours and not just mine, to sort of, to the point, the real cost of these tortillas that yeah. we love so much. Yeah. And that companies aren't families. I think I really attached myself to this product because it was Mexican made in the city that I love. And, you know, and it's what my mom always chose for us growing up, that it was unquestionable, right? And so this wedge that was introduced in the last few years Really also is like, yeah, we really have to question everything, not just the things that um, are foreign or distant or expensive. Yeah. It really is everything. Yeah. One fun thing that happened in the process of writing this was that I learned that tortillas are part of the NASA diet. And it was re- really, you know, you know this as a writer, when you're writing, things just sort of start appearing. And maybe because of SEO and Google, but I got a thing saying on Instagram a picture of the first uh, Mexican astronaut that went to space in 85, and he had brought um, tortillas with him. So that's how the piece 
comes in. And at some point, the piece ended with that because after his introduction of tortillas into space, um, because they didn't have crumbs on like bread, they became part of the NASA diet. So now if you look on the things that astronauts take to, to space, their tortillas are on there because of uh, how practical they are. So I just thought that was like super cool. And really the thought of thinking of like a Mexican eating tortillas in space just really made me excited. So not going to read the patches, but it was really a thing that um, I really enjoyed learning in the process. Um, and I believe a Mexican woman just went to, to space recently. Um, I don't know if she took tortillas with or not. So to everybody who's listening, I highly recommend you read Adriana's piece. Um, we'll have a link up on Vocalo where you can read the whole piece and check out any piece of this uh, interview that you might have missed. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me.